0: Legends Guns N' Roses play Wellington tonight, Auckland in the weekend. If you don't know who they are, don't worry. Just one of the world's great rock and roll bands, Axl Rose vocals, slash guitar, all you need to know. They formed an entirely unique sound. And of course, David Farrah, you'll be donning the GNR t-shirt and you'll be off tonight, will you?
1: I'm not off tonight. The one I am very excited about is next May for Don McLean. Uh, I grew up on American Pie, so that probably will be my only concert in the last six years.
0: I respect your choices, but (laughs) we're talking Guns N' Roses, uh, David. I mean, it's a very different thing to American Pie, albeit a great song. Anna, you would be there if you could. (laughs)
2: Uh, I I actually think I would be. I mean, it's interesting. Axel Rose is 60 now, and I, yeah, it'd be fascinating to see them all up on stage. Well, I tell you what, Mike
0: from Tar was a fan. He said, I'm off to see Gunners tonight. And one person who is such a big fan, uh, he has been practicing in his basement in um, central Mount Eden. Um, uh, Caller,
3: are you there? Hello, Hello there. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very excited. Um, Yeah, only two sleeps to go. Two sleeps to go.
0: Now, we've got a surprise for our listeners across the country. Have you got guitar in hand? I do, I do. All right, put down that um, phone on speaker and take it away. Damien, you should see the smile. You should see the smiles in the booth. Our <laughs> operators are all big smiles. Uh, I'm outing you out now. You're a former co-host of Backbender, Damien Christie. Uh, that's who you are. Uh, Kia ora, Damien.
3: <laughs> Kia ora, Wallace. <laughs> you know, uh, look, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, So I live about two streets away from Eden Park, and I thought there's a lot of COVID going on at the moment. If I got a and I'm, I'm going to Guns N' Roses on Saturday, and I thought of suddenly you heard that Slash was out, uh, you know, for the, for the thing... <laughs> You're going to need someone to jump in it, and you know, last notice, last last you notice. Know? Hey,
0: Anna, that's pretty impressive guitar playing, eh? Because I only I only know Damien as a soft rhythm guitarist.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I hear he has a big guitar collection, and um, that was impressive. That was very impressive. I hope you were. I hope you were waving your head around at the same time there, Damien. David, Wait, you're, I, David you're
1: David, you're David Farrow, You're a musician. Can you top that? I can't. Damien is a man of many talents, <laughs> in a way.
0: Uh, good, on, good on you, Damien. Hey, have a great night and uh, the weekend at uh, GNR.
3: Thank you very much, Wallace. Talk to you soon.
0: Hi. Very, very good. Wow, that's pretty impressive, actually. I don't know how we got around. And the, t- the tone was absolutely 100% correct. Hmm. I must uh, listen back. By the way, if you are someone who hasn't got time to listen to the panel live, uh, don't forget you can just go to the website rnzconz panel. Many people listen to it in their own time, so uh, that's there. David Farah and Anna Dean joining me this afternoon. Uh, keep the response up regarding our snapshot poll of whether or not you support the three waters or not. Huge response. As you can imagine, 2101. I'll tell you the result at 5 to 5 right here on the panel. A report from the Children's Commissioner has warned that we could see a rise in preventable disease due to a sudden fall in childhood vaccinations. The Children's Commission and experts in public health are now raising the alarm. The Child Poverty Monitor warned of an urgent need to vaccinate children. So I thought it would be a good time to raise this Issue on the panel with us is Dr. Nikki Turner, the medical director of the Immunisation Advisory Centre at Auckland University. Kiara, Dr. Turner. Yeah, Kiara. Just looking at the figures here first up in the two years 2020 to 2022, the national immunisation rate for two-year-olds dropped about 10 percent from 90 to just above 80 percent. Is that significant?
4: Yes, that's correct. They've dropped 9% and they were around about 93% to start. 95% is our aim, so this is really significant. And even more significant, if you look at it by groups, uh, tamariki Māori rates have dropped off by around 18%. And then if you look at kids getting their vaccines on time, um, the drop-off is even greater. So it's harder for families to get their children in on time so we're dropping off our absolute coverage and we're also not getting our infants vaccinated on time look this is really worrying
0: with the focus on COVID-19 and the effort to vaccinate there Nikki did we simply lose focus on other diseases
4: that that's partially it but there's other issues as well the health sector is actually exhausted I know Mm. that, I work in primary care myself, Mm. they're trying really hard, a lot of things did get delayed, you know cervical screening's been dropping off, mammograms are dropping off Um, the staff shortages everywhere our outreach services had already been grossly underfunded even before we went into the COVID pandemic so we started from you know we weren't quite at our targets to start with even before COVID arrived and I just don't think the health sector had resilience. People put in a lot of effort at many, many levels and did heroic, amazing stuff, but everyone's very tired yeah. and also our communities are struggling you know, it's hard for our families at the moment. There's so many other demands on people's lives that the preventive stuff often just gets missed
0: you just lost in the... Uh Lost in the mist. Now, uh, Dr. Turner, will come to our panelists uh, soon, but, uh, you know, we, I mean, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said she was concerned by the risk of measles spreading once mm-hmm. again. Pre-pending, we had that uh, quite mm-hmm. shocking, frankly, measles outbreak. But I'm looking at other diseases here, for example, rheumatic fever, but also tetanus. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Uh, I mean, I can recall tetanus when I was a kid. These are still diseases that are still around?
4: Yeah, tetanus is very rare, but it's still there. And if you're not vaccinated, you can get it. And we do see occasionally unvaccinated children getting tetanus. So tetanus is real. Hooping cough, people forget about. Hooping cough is really severe for little babies. Really important for our pregnant women to be vaccinated and our kids to vaccinate on time. And and hooping cough comes back in big numbers every four to six years. So it's coming back. And, of course, we're all terrified of measles. Measles is probably even more infectious than COVID, so you know, measles is nasty.
0: Anna Dean.
2: Yeah. Hi, Dr. Turner. It's interesting. I mean, uh, particularly this week with, with the uh, news around the, the, the baby who um, was given the unvaccin, uh, you know, this, this whole case that's been going on. How big a part do you think that, um, anti vaccination groups have been playing in, in, in these changes in numbers? I mean, it's just such a topic of conversation among certain groups of people. And it seemed like. Um, this was a real, I was going to say shot in the arm, but that's just a terrible pun. Um, <laughs> this, um, you know, just this last week, it's like the movement has kind of picked up a kind of level of pace and, mm. and mm. I don't know, loudness again. I mean, is this, uh, how do we push back against this? That's the real question. Yes, look, I do think the world has changed. You know, um, the country brought in
4: mandates to try and increase COVID vaccination, you know, appropriately at the time and has now removed them, but I think it leaves a legacy where people felt not heard. New Zealand doesn't traditionally use mandates and it's not something we would traditionally have used. In our childhood programme, we were getting close to our targets with just really good education effective services. And then, you know, our services I think were really under resourced and then social media has had a really vicious part to play that you have a few loud voices internationally and they just get repeated and repeated in the sort of eco-bubble, and it scares people. And then, you know, people don't trust, you know. they, And, and so I think that has got quite a big part to it at the moment as well.
1: Uh, David Vera. Yeah, my thoughts were very much along and is about trying to get a hold of how much of the drop is for passive reasons, i.e. people are just busy, they haven't prioritised it, and how much is active decision-making by parents that they are choosing not to vaccinate their children, probably because they've been, I'll use the term, radicalised by the COVID-19 vaccine mandates, which were quite eminently justifiable for that particular period. But We have seen that it has led to the wider vaccination area becoming more politicised. And I'm wondering if the Ministry of Health or anyone in the health sector is surveying parents and families who haven't got their children vaccinated to find out if it's for passive or active reasons. Because the passive reasons we can deal with with resourcing, if it's active reasons there's active resistance that's going to be a lot harder to hmm. work out how we overcome that with time
4: okay. yeah Yeah, that's right. So both of these things run together. So our systems need urgent resourcing and our outreach and our support and particularly our support to Māori and Pacifica communities need a lot more resourcing. So that's a mixture of passive and active. Now, the absolute anti-people, you know, yes, the numbers probably have risen a bit, but I think what we're seeing and what we should be working on more is parents with genuine fears and genuine concerns, not absolute anti-science, not absolute anti-the health services, but people who are just anxious and are hearing the noise. And this is the damage of social media is people hear the noise and feel like maybe there is a problem. So I think that's the group in our community we really need to put a lot of support and work into is to know that this noise is coming from a few very small sources. They're not coming from reputable science and just restoring communities faith in that. It's going to take a lot of legwork.
0: Right, just finally, uh, Nikki. So this afternoon, in terms of this issue, uh, what do we need to know? What do par- what do parents need to know now?
4: I think this is back to having a trusted healthcare professional that you can talk to and feel safe with. Oh. You know, our healthcare services, our thinking, the planning, the science behind them is not from one individual; it's built up from years and years from international knowledge. You know, talk to your healthcare provider, your general practitioner, your paediatrician, whoever's your healthcare provider. And really hear what is all the data behind this and, and reassure yourself that, you know, this is not just an individual person's opinion, but this is about science.
0: Kia ora, Dr. Turner. Very good to have you on the program. Thank you. Dr. Nikki Turner there, uh, the Medical Director of the Immunisation Advisory Centre. Meanwhile, the uh, panel poll snapshot uh, not nearly as scientific as, say, a Curia poll, I'm sure, <laughs> but it's something. <laughs> um, it's coming through now, so we have that poll for you, the results. And I asked you whether or not, uh, from what you know, from what you understand of the bill, do you support the Three Waters bill as it stands? Text me 2101, uh, the answer... Is in 10 minutes' time on the panel. No, I do not support Three Waters. I have come to the conclusion I do not trust this government at all. I want them gone. They seem incompetent. Another one here. Yes, I support it. It guarantees more tangata whenua rights to govern why Maori decisions and provides better infrastructure, services and maintenance to poorer, less-resourced authorities. Wallace, no, not enough consultation, railroaded through like everything else Labour's done. Uh, Another one here, I completely support it, four councils instead of 67, specialist legal scientists and admin people, less amateur floundering. You're on the panel, RNZ National, well, certainly put the cat amongst the pigeons, the mayor of the super city has taken a swipe. At the Auckland Art Gallery, comparing visitor numbers with customers at a dairy, as well as it being the most uneconomical building in the city. And quoting, how do we get to have 122 people looking after a few paintings in a building that nobody goes to? Although, as the director said, since July the 1st, over 100,000 people have come through the gallery, so senior lecturer at the University of Auckland and spokesperson for art makers Aotearoa, Dr. Mark Harvey is with us. Kia ora Mark, Kia ora was. Okay, so having a bit of a go here. Uh, what do you make of Wayne Brown's comments?
3: Well, um, I would invite uh, the mayor to uh, speak to uh, key members from the sector, artists. Local artists, and also, uh, you know, obviously, the people at the Auckland Art Gallery, um, uh, as to you know, what what is what does actually go on, um, and, and what does the gallery contribute to our local society? Um, it, it does a huge amount, and just as you pointed out, the director uh, uh, noted, you know, you know over a hundred thousand people have gone to it. It's done some major shows that have, that, that have put, for instance, Maori art much more on on the map. With their Toy Two Toy Order Māori Art Show a year or so ago. So it, it, it is a major taonga for our city, um, as are all public art galleries, just like they are you know, libraries. Mm. I would also suggest that the NEAR looks at it not just as a financial thing, but actually looks at it in a more holistic way okay. uh, as to what art galleries do. All right,
0: decide. so that's all good, Dr. Harvey. And, look, you know, I'm going to go there on Saturday to see the Robin White exhibition, so, you know, look, I go there. But in the basement, $300 million worth of art. It's incredible. In this day and age, when we are up against the wall, do we need that massive uh, uh, collection? Should we sell off uh, some of that artwork?
3: Good question. Um, A lot of that is local artists, and so once they've gone, They've often gone offshore, and that's it. For instance, Goldie paintings and and, and you know Colin McCann paintings, etc. So, um, I would say that it's essential to have um, a collection or a range of collections like that because they will get shown in public. Once they're sold off, they're often only shown in rich people's houses for rich people who can who are allowed to go see their friends.
0: All right, Mark. Mark, stay but there. Let's so go. Around, let's go around the yeah. panel on this, and then I will we'll come back to you, David. You first.
1: Well, what I found interesting in the story was that for that three-month period the mayor was referring to, there was only 90 people a day coming. And yeah. I think it's quite legitimate to say, hey, that's a problem. We've got 122 yeah. staff and 90 people yeah. a day are coming. Now, what we've found out is if you put on a good exhibition, you then get 100,000 people through, and that's great. That's right. And the solution yeah. isn't to close down the art gallery, but it is perhaps to say... We don't just want people coming for the big exhibitions. We've got $300 million worth of art. We do have 120 staff. We want to be having people come all year round, not just for the big exhibitions.
0: Okay, stay there, Mark, or uh, Anna first.
2: Mm. Kia ora, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, these 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 comments. I just I just held my head. Really, I mean, it just it just. Yeah. Uh, Auckland has kind of stolen the crown of the arts capital increasingly over the last few do years. And think, I know that's a bit Do you think? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. We might definitely come back to it tomorrow. Interesting. <laughs> I know Wellington. I
0: dispute
1: that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Wellington's you know kind of lost its spark in a lot of ways. And the, the interesting thing <laughs> Well, the interesting thing that that the new mayor doesn't obviously understand is that Wellington, for example, the City Gallery doesn't have its own collection like that. It's That's a right. very unique collection oh. that the Auckland Art Gallery has. I didn't know that. And if you. Yeah. If you're actually comparing, you know, visitor numbers, a hundred thousand. I, I looked up and I was like, a hundred thousand people use the golf course uh, courses in Auckland um, every year as well. And it's like, it just is down to what you value. And I don't think that the city needs to be led by one particular man's flavour and, and what he finds. Good um, heavens! You know, strong words,
0: strong words, Mark from uh, Anna Dean there
3: yeah kia ora, kia ora Anna. um and and yeah and David um yeah, no, I totally agree Anna, and going back to your your point um uh, david, yes, it's fair enough to see that the gallery isn't drawing in pe- a, a lot of people at that time, there are different reasons why that happens, but um there are some amazing public outdoors, including in Pōneke, Wellington. Wellington, I must add. Um, uh, I've got a nod to them, of course, um, because they do have great arts there still. Um, uh, Tūru Gallery and Tatuhi Gallery in Auckland City, um, who are council-owned, I understand, um, uh, both do a lot of projects to get uh, their art out to kids and and people in lower decile and lower uh, economically privileged contexts and and various strategies like workshops that that are outreach workshops, workshops. uh, uh, getting buses buses out to uh, schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there are many strategies. and I know Auckland Art Gallery is trying to do that, and you know, of course, there's always work to do. I'm not saying it's perfect, um, but there, there are good strategies to to, to work on that. Maybe right. the mayor could could actually engage with them and find out what's going on and maybe support um, Auckland Art Gallery to, to do that sort of thing even more.
0: Go to an opening. Go to an opening, Mark. Have a glass of wine, perhaps. Good on you. Uh, yeah. Dr. Mark over yeah. there, uh, spokesperson yeah. for Artmakers Aotearoa. Interesting, really interesting responses to that. You can email me, by the way, the panel at rnz.co.nz. I'll pick it up tomorrow, and we may discuss this tomorrow. Has Wellington... Lost its golden crown uh, in terms of is it Auckland now? Is it Auckland all the way when it comes to better arts, better culture? That's what Anna Dean said anyway, who spent years in Wellington. By the way, here's the panel, here's the panel poll, Uh, hundreds of responses. Here we go 58% are for the three waters. (laughs) As it stands, 42% are against. So actually, fairly not too not too dissimilar, huh? 58% are for. 42% are against. Thank you for responding. Mount Ruapehu ski fields have been given a six million dollar lifeline from the government to help stave off the financial collapse of Ruapehu Alpine Lifts. RAL. In a statement, Minister for Economic De- and Regional Development, Stuart Nash, said more time was needed to explore options so liquidation could be avoided. The operator of Mount Ruapehu's Torua and Whakapapa ski fields needed $9 million until the start of next year's ski season, but had until now only received $4.5 million from both the Crown and ANZ. With us is General Manager of Visit Ruapehu, Joe Kennedy. Kia Joe.
5: Kia ora, how are you going?
0: Good. Good news, six million bucks?
5: Yeah, great news and a big sigh of relief all throughout the region. It gives us a bit more time to actually get some good opportunities over the table.
0: Will this be enough to tide them over?
5: I'm going to get us through so PwC are working really hard on coming up with a new a new co and to do that they needed some more time so at before this was announced yesterday we only had until the 16th of December and it was all kind of going to end then but now we've got through till you know another few months and also um, we should be able to run a season pass campaign okay. with a little bit more um, with a little bit more certainty which will then raise more funds to to start off the new co.
0: Anna, ever been skiing a Turoa or whakapapa?
2: Uh yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah, oh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, lovely, lovely spot. Um, I just I, I just wonder, I, I have a lot of um, friends working in the climate change space and particularly in Switzerland and all of the uh, ski fields there are really having to look at their long-term plans around how they maintain their sustainability and just wondered what your thoughts are on that. I mean, are we fighting a losing battle? How does the industry hmm. stack up in your mind?
5: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's something obviously we're looking at, and this year that the the last three years, the two, two of those years were COVID years. This last year yeah. just gone was obviously no snow up in our part of the world, but that's all due to um, a La Nina rather than climate change. At this point, obviously climate change is kind of coming, but in the, in, the, in the immediate in the immediate vicinity, it's. It's going to still be ski in the next kind of 20 years, but we absolutely need a plan for following that. And we do have a bunch of off-mountain activities as well that we continue to work on, mountain biking and things.
1: Let's bring David Ferrer in. Um, I have skied to uh, since the year it opened, uh, probably over 100 times. Is uh, that right? And I already have my ski trip booked for next year, accommodation, but I'm not actually in favour of this bailout. And that's because I see a difference between the ski field and the company. The company has debt. I'm not sure you can save the company. What I think is going to end up happening is the company gets liquidated but another ski field operator or trust gets set up that will come in, buy the assets for a million dollars or something with no debt, and I'm sure they can actually make a go of it. Because up until two, three years ago, I had a look through the annual reports. They were profitable. The trouble is they just have too much debt. Um, but I don't think bailing the company out has the answer. People okay. disagree. I think What's it's your sense on that, a new Joe? owner.
5: So... The company RAL is there at the moment and continues to operate because they've got the people there to run the lifts. Um, Skywalker gets turned back on the 21st of December to again try and generate some money for summer. But any, any decision about future Newco, it, it's all being considered and discussed Robustly now And PWC and John Fisk is the man for that He actually came to Okuni, uh last week And um, with tourism operators And answered a range of questions And um, at that point The December deadline was looming But he has gone back and worked with MB And um, thankfully we're very very grateful To well, Nash and his team
0: Joe, whatever we say It's a wonderful part of the country I'm a big fan of Okuni. Uh I went there last year Not even to ski, I don't like skiing I just wanted to sort of hang out <laughs> in the town. <laughs> How about that? Uh, you know, go for a walk. Love it. Mm. So uh, keep up the good work, and thanks for being with us on the panel.
5: Yeah, thanks very much. See you later. Very
0: good. All right. Wellington versus Auckland, the Battle of the Arts <laughs> Centre, tomorrow Friday. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. Uh, and, <laughs> hey, <laughs> David and Nadine Curie, you've been wonderful both. Uh, have a great night whoever is going to the great Guns N' Roses tonight in Wellington. I'm Wallace Chapin back tomorrow. 3.45 Checkpoint
3: business. next.